0: Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, a famous name from MLB The Show Career Mode started a group of fantasy leagues years ago. And today, we gather with longtime Joe Random, Stephen Thayer, and Matt Ramirez to talk all things sports with other Joe Randoms. We hope you enjoy. And remember, just keep swishing and don't strike out. And welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, episode 27. Matt, uh, how's it going today, man? You had a rough golf outing this weekend, I hear.
1: Yeah, rough tournament showing for me. Things are good other than that. Still have one more week off before the new job. And, um, yeah, kind of living the the retired guy life, I guess, still.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, It's good to take advantage of the podcast while we can. Both have a little bit of time off. Yeah. Uh, we want to bring Mark Dudik on to the podcast today, but it appears that there might be some scheduling conflicts. So we may or may not get him uh, until then. we'll we plan to talk baseball today. We're going to talk uh, trade deadline review. And of course, I, I want to just pay a big tribute to Vin Scully, who passed away earlier this week. Um, but Matt, do you want to dive into some of the debacle that you faced? I mean, you were so close to making the cut.
1: Basically, the I'll start. I'll just start from the beginning. The tournament started out as a mess. Uh, it's kind of a dog leg left with OB out of bounds left and right. Um, I hit. I hit a shot. Uh, it's going right over the left bunker. Pulled it. Um, takes two bounces. Goes over the back side of the bunker. Can't really see it, but it looks like it's definitely in bounds. Um, Oregon's been really hot and dry, so the grass is just completely dried out. Um, starter says you should be able to find that. Don't worry about hitting a provisional. Um, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll go over and find it. Uh, we go over there. Uh, can't find it. It's, um, out of bounds. So then I have to jog back to the first tee, hit another ball, um, end up, end up pulling that one as well. Um, so that one's OB. Uh, hitting six off the first tee now. I only bring one ball with me, so I'm out of golf balls. I happen to know one of the guys behind me, in the group behind me, he gives me a ball. I hit it in the fairway, uh, oh hit my. it on, and actually make what would have been a birdie putt, but made it for a nine. Wow. Um, so it was just an absolute mess of a first hole. Um, make four straight pars, 50, yank one about, my, I usually play a fade or like a slice left from left to right, um, pulled it about 50 yards left. Um, I get in trouble by the rules. Official tells me I dropped incorrectly on the wrong line when both my playing partners said it was, it was the right spot. Um, she gives me a two stroke penalty and says, I have to play two balls, the ball that I had already hit in in the incorrect drop position, as well as the ball that she thought was supposed to, where it was supposed to be dropped. So I played two balls into that hole, make a six with the sec with the ball that I dropped, make an eight with the ball that she made me drop, and then also a two-stroke penalty. Really? At the end of the round, wow. I ended up ended up playing all right the rest of the way. Nothing crazy. Um, get in and then they make me take the ball that she she meets me at the scoring 10, says if I play the if I count the Ball that I originally dropped, I would be disqualified. So I obviously oh take her her ruling. Um, then I miss. so with two, with a nine and a 10, I shot a 82 or 83. I can't remember. So I played solid other than that, um, those two. And then the second day, I shot an 81 um, or no, a 70, 78 or 79. So I missed the cut by like three or four strokes. Obviously, the the difference there was a couple, couple holes, but you could always say that, but just an absolute mess. Like I'm, I'm not a big rules guy on the golf course. So dealing with all that crap and figuring it out was, was quite the adventure and also just an absolute first hole nightmare going a back disaster. and forth.
0: Oh, yeah. Man. Just,
1: I've never really been embarrassed on a golf course, but I was like <laughs> embarrassed on that first tee.
0: You're running back to the first hole. You're like, who does this guy think he is? I mean, yeah. I can well, only it had,
1: imagine. It was, it was white stick, so if you hit it over the white, it's out of bounds, and you have to re until you get it in play. Oh. Freaking mess, but wow. that's that. I was, it sucks. I was playing so good going into it, um, and then yesterday played like I was telling you before the podcast started. Played with one of my old coaches at his country club, shot one over par. So like it's just frustrating. But tournament golf's a different beast. Like even I would just like obviously I've played in a lot of competitive sports in the past and whatnot, and just getting, putting it on the tee, I was real nervous. And once that starts, then you're just trying to deal with it. And it, I like getting nervous, oh, yeah. you know, like that feeling doesn't come around too often anymore as, as an adult. So it was cool, but just really frustrating overall.
0: Yeah. Especially the rules official that seems to be making up rules and no, she was, she was correct. I just disagreed with, <laughs> I disagreed with her, where her line was. Yeah. The judgment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Like she was 50 yards off the other side of the hole and then she's telling me where to drop it. But
0: yeah, this is like the, uh, the line official making a PI call from the other side of the field.
1: Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And if, if both my partners were on board with her, I would have been fine. But both of the other guys were like, yeah, I think you're fine. Yeah. Your drop was right. Yeah.
0: Which is ridiculous. Um, But Yeah. That's crazy. You had to ask the guy behind you for a new ball too. <laughs>
1: well, I was like, I was like, hey guys, I don't have another ball. Anybody got one that they would give me and, they, and the guy that I knew tossed me one.
0: Wow. So yeah, it was just a mess. Goodness. Well, should we, I need a here for that one. I needed his commentary <laughs> on his story, but <laughs> yeah. Oh damn! Well, ho- hopefully yeah. you'll have another shot of that sometime down the line.
1: Yeah, maybe man, all those, that's that this tournament was way more hardcore than the other ones that I play, and They're usually more of like hitting giggles, no rules, officials, no official scoring stuff like that. But I think I'll probably stick to more of those and maybe play, maybe play this one next year, depending what course it's at.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's talk about Vin Scully. Um, mm-hmm. we did a little tribute uh, with John Madden uh, earlier this year with our podcast and talked about him for a little bit. And I think it's only fitting that we do it for Vin as well. Um, who passed yeah. away uh, during the giants Dodgers series, um, which is also kind of fitting in a way as well. Uh, that's a series that even in his later years as a commentator broadcaster, he did not want to miss that series. He always made the trip up to San Francisco to call those games. And uh obviously he's going to be dearly missed by everybody in the Dodgers nation but not just Dodger nation baseball nation and everybody who followed him for so many years i was thinking to myself with vin being around in the booth for 67 years as as the Dodgers broadcaster uh, like that's not including everything else he's done in his in his career and and leading up to it but 67 years if broadcasters had a war like we give baseball players vins would be untouchable like we look at some of the wars in, in baseball history and you look at your your hank aarons your barry bonds or your, your stan mutual your your honus wagner you know you, the, the elite of the elite guys and i feel like vin would be above those for broadcasters by it would be untouchable there's just nobody he's like he's like the
1: Wayne Gretzky, Michael Phelps, you know, like there's just no doubt he's the, he's the best.
0: Yeah. You you can't touch him. Like, it's not even like Jordan LeBron. It's a different level. It's, uh, it, and so I think that level of excellence will never be attained ever again, not just because I don't think you can find another person that can do it, but just the day and age that we live in. And back when he was doing most of his work, You know, he was mainly a radio guy at the beginning when, you know, it wasn't easy to go find and watch a Dodger game, you know, on the West Coast. These guys, if the Dodgers were traveling, you know, playing in in the Midwest or the East Coast, the Dodgers fans would be in freeway traffic on their way home from work, listening to Vin on the radio. And. We don't listen to radio anymore. Nobody listens to radio anymore. It's very rare. Um, when you're turning on KNBR and you're listening to Kruk and Kype, or you know, if you're watching or listening to A's and you got Kuiper and of course Ray was there for so many years, Ken Korak, but uh I know I, I, I I'll miss Vin. Uh, I first got exposed to him MLB05. It was a offshoot sports video game playstation 2 eric chavez was on the cover but you couldn't see his name or his numbers it was kind of it was by 989 sports so it wasn't your run of the mill like ea or or 2k or one of those or the show It wasn't that and vin was the main guy in that video game and i just remember him talking and it was it was so cool even hearing the stories in the video game back in mlb05 (laughs) um but um you know, then you just grow appreciation listening to him over the years. Every time the Dodgers were playing, I was I was trying to, to watch the game, not just because I wanted to watch Matt Kemp and Chad Lee, but I, I wanted to listen to <laughs> Vin Scully. Um, and I think everybody did. Um, so those are some of my sentiments. You can talk on and on about it. You can search YouTubes on some of his great stories, uh, one of them being him talking about how – mad bum pulled a rabbit out of a snake and saved the rabbit like i mean it's just who can do that who mad bums thing but then to commentate that story on air is unreal
1: yeah and he does all these stories without missing a beat in the game which is probably the most impressive part i think we lost one of the obviously being the dodgers broadcaster he wasn't i didn't have an appreciation for him as much until he retired but um, just with his storytelling ability, I think uh, that's what separates him from pretty much every other announcer that I've listened to. Nobody else can keep calling a game solo most of the time, right? I don't solo. think he had many color guys. Um, and for him to do that, tell stories, comment the game, update the fans on different reports, things like that, pretty remarkable. And uh, to do it for that long, is I don't think anybody else will be a broadcaster for 67 years.
0: No. um, Bob Costas, I listened to a lot of the tributes when this happened, and Bob Costas had a lot of good things to say about him. And he brought up a really interesting point that he was the only guy where the broadcast was run from the broadcaster himself. Most people have their team behind them. The video guy and the, the directors and the camera guys like telling the broadcaster, feeding them the stats, feeding them, hey, we need you to do this. Um, what, you know, they, They're telling the broadcasters kind of what to do. Um, but Vin pretty much ran it by himself. And when he was in the middle of a story, the, the, the team would never show a replay. They would just let Vin finish the story. You know, and like you said, he would never miss a beat. He would call the quick play, and he'd get right back to his story. Uh, If Vin was talking about a certain detail in the story, the people behind them would be like, "Oh shoot, we got to put that up. We gotta, we gotta put that graphic up." You know, and so it was one of the only ones where they just let Vin do his thing, and it was completely remarkable. It's just you just will never see this this kind of excellence ever again. Um, And I, so many historic calls. You know Kirk Gibson's call in the 88 World Series, it's and it's Costas brought this up too. It's not just the call itself, it's the lead up. Um, and I want to go back and listen to the full inning of Koufax's perfect game because it's the lead up, it's not just the final out, but how Vin is describing everything that's going on. Um, it, it just makes it that much better. Uh, he, he called the catch, the Dwight Clark catch, which it's so cool hearing that highlight. There's watching that highlight over and over again, and you hear, "Wait, that's Vin!" Uh, obviously, Hank Aaron's home run. The lead up to that, every it's not just the call, and so he really put his his footprint and his stamp on everything. Um, so, yeah, I loved his. Uh, now I'm, I'm ranting, but I, I love his deuces wild. Uh, it's like, two on, two out, two and two the count. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so. I think very fondly of him as, as a lot of uh, Dodgers fans do. And I just keep remembering his quote at when he retired, he said, don't be sad. It's over smile. It happened. And so that's kind of my little monologue on Vin. You know, I can't do it justice. Nobody can really do him justice. Um, But it was definitely a big loss in the baseball world this last week.
1: Definitely. Yeah. He, he's a legend and, like you're saying, I don't think anybody's going to gonna really have a good chance at coming close to him in terms of uh, announcing status, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we have great announcers in the Bay Area. We really do. We've, We've been ver- spoiled. Very lucky. But Andrew brought up a good point. He said, you know, I feel like when I'm listening to a, a radio show or a podcast or a, a broadcast, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on two friends having a conversation But when you were listening to Vin, you felt like he had you, and you were talking to him. He was—it was just you and him. It was a relationship, uh, which I thought was a really fascinating uh, way to 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 put it. Really interesting perspective.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It's uh, it was Vin and his audience. You know, everyone felt like, even as an opposing team fan, that I felt like I kind of knew a little part about him. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They always said. As an opposing player, you knew that if Vin was talking about you, that you—that was when you knew you made it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I gosh, so random stories that I remember. I remember him talking about Alexi Ramirez's rims on his car. Um, I remember him talking about Ernesto Fruhary, like like in his farm, like churning. Uh, whatever butter, whatever he was working on, like that's how he built up his arm strength as a kid. Um, so just just some fun little facts like that that you remember listening to games.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember the Mad Bum story vividly with the rabbit, but you've probably heard a million of his stories that like one little thing can bring back up the, the memory of the story. And it's just, it's crazy that he was able to to captivate people like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And people forget he was a Giants fan growing up. He was, a, he was a nine-year-old Giants fan in, in New York. In Brooklyn, uh, right? Yeah. Or uh,
1: New York, I guess, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it is, it is kind of funny how that all comes back around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right. Well, uh, well, we'll continue talking about baseball. Uh, the trade deadline happened. Um, and as, as much as we'll miss Vin, I think the Nationals are going to miss Juan Soto dearly. Um, gosh, what an amazing deadline, uh, your thoughts and reactions to the day in general.
1: Yeah. We were talking about it leading up, like saying that it feels like this is going to be a massive deadline. And then all these trades happen. There's so many small moves that didn't even get talked about because of basically what the Padres did. And, um, wow. I didn't, I never thought Hader would be traded. I didn't think Juan Soto would actually be traded. Um, Otani got talked about. Um, Yeah, it's, it was a heck of a trade deadline.
0: I can't fathom if Otani would ever be traded. If like, what package are you going to get? Because it seemed like the package that the nationals got in return for Soto was as good as you probably could get. And we don't need to dive into the specifics, but they're getting a few high pedigree prospects. And not just from, from Juan Soto, but they were able to get Josh Bell in the deal too. which That was crazy. The Padres, we'll talk about winners and losers, but for the Padres to add Juan Soto, Josh Hader, Brandon Drury, Josh Bell, that is unreal, not to mention extending Joe Musgrove. So they, they went in hard. And I think you may have said something like this, but when you are in a position to make a move like that, to acquire a generational talent for a franchise that's never won a world series, you have to do it. 100%. They got probably the
1: best lefty reliever in the game. Obviously it's been in a little bit of a funk and hater. And a, I would say a general generational talent from the left side out of the bullpen. And then you get Juan Soto, who's, on pace to be like a Miguel Cabrera, Pujols. Uh, he's on like Mickey Mantle pace numbers, and um, to do that, like I just don't understand what type of return you could possibly get that would make it worth it, unless you're getting a young superstar back. But nobody's ever going to do that. So, uh, big moves by the Padres, I respect uh, clearly with uh, my fantasy basketball and other trades and things like that. I think. Um, I've been, I've been one to, to be a proponent of going all in and I respect the heck out of the Padres for doing it. I wish the giants would have done it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, other tidbits from that trade, they were able to dump Hajmer to the Red Sox and but but they had to, to kick in forty four million in that deal, which is not a not a hefty. It is a hefty chunk of change. <laughs>
1: yeah, so they ended up having to swap him and Voigt because Hosmer wasn't going to waive the trade to the Nats, right?
0: Right, right.
1: That's hilarious. I think that's awesome that a guy like Eric Hosmer has that big of a contract with a no trade clause.
0: It's crazy. It it is. Uh, so yeah, obviously the Nationals got Luke Voigt and um, the. Taylor Rogers was the guy that they moved uh in the Josh Hader trade. So the Brewers got Taylor Rogers. Um
1: and Lamette, uh the righty. Yeah. Well,
0: I was surprised. Lamette got designated for assignment.
1: Well, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. As soon as what, like two days later, he gets DFA'd, and I thought he was gonna be a decent, decent arm for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, not too long ago, he was regarded as a, a top guy, a strikeout guy. Was going to be integral to the rotation to kind of like, well, he's coming back from the injury. We'll make him like a long man reliever. And then it's just crazy how fast some of these guys can fall off the board.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The career path for pitchers with shoulder injuries is pretty,
0: pretty slim. Oh man. So I think we're all in agreement that the Padres are big winners at the trade deadline. Yep. However, the question that I'll ask you is, would you rather have Soto, Machado, Tatis, or Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, and Mookie Betts?
1: So the big part of this question for me is, are we talking about for the foreseeable future, for the rest of this year, for this year and next year? Because I guess that's how long all those guys are under contract for.
0: Well, I suppose you're probably, if it's a foreseeable future, you're you're probably going to take the Padres side of the equation. Mm -hmm. But let's go with right now.
1: Right now, I'm going... I'm a big proponent of health and right now like Tatis has been slightly injury prone, obviously still hurt. Um, I just, I think the Dodgers have, have a huge advantage. I think Mookie one of the top three players and hitters in baseball, offensive players in baseball. I think Trey Turner might be the most underrated player in baseball. Um, and who's your other big three out of that? Raymond. Yeah. Freddie Freeman. My gosh. Yeah. And he's, he's on a, just an absolute heater right now. So um, I'm taking the Dodgers for sure this year. Um, But if we're looking at over the long haul, I would go Padres just because of the age factor.
0: Age factor. But I, I do want to highlight, it's not like Mookie and Trey are that old. It's Freeman's not that old. It's just, you're, you're talking about years of prime left, you know, maybe four, four more years, give or take for those Dodgers guys. Um, yeah. Three to five. Yeah. Give or take. Whereas at least as, as a Padres fan, you would probably hope for Soto and Tatis to have, you know, 10 years of prime left. Um,
1: yeah. Which is crazy to think about like Abby Rutchman's older than Juan Soto. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, um, okay. So we're going to talk more about some of these trades, um, we're not going to talk much about the teams that sold. Um, we know that a lot of prospects were exchanged, but it's really hard to evaluate those trades right now. So we're pretty much going to talk about the the, the big uh, teams in contention. Uh, the Yankees made quite a few moves. Uh, first, adding Andrew Benintendi. They needed that left-handed bat, obviously acquiring Frankie Montas, Lucerino, But then they go around and trade Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader, and this is where... I'd like Dudik's input. Uh, they say that Bader is the center fielder that they. It's nice to have. Obviously, they traded Gallo as well. Um, he's a good defensive guy, but he's on the IL. And Montgomery was no slouch as a starting pitcher in that rotation. So, you know, with a banged up rotation as it is, uh, with Severino being out, what do you think of that move? Kind of peculiar.
1: Yeah, it's odd. I the rule of thumb for me with with pitching is especially going into the postseason, like you never know what guys are going to go down and to trade a fourth starter for basically a fourth outfielder was, was odd. I know they haven't been high on Montgomery just based off of Yankees Twitter, but um, to get rid of him for a guy, like, did I say hater? I'm Bader, Harrison Bader <laughs> um, is it's weird. It's, it's uh, it's odd to me with what they're trying to accomplish. It seems like, outfield they're pretty set they still have Hicks like um, I don't know it was it was odd to me for sure for the Yankees
0: I'm not sure how high Yankees fans are on Hicks I know they weren't high on Gallo but uh, yeah they, I've, I see a
1: lot of bad crap about Hicks on Yankees Twitter for sure
0: but anyhow uh, Frankie Montas was one of the big prizes at the trade deadline and Lou Trevino would be much needed bullpen help for the Yankees. Um, so Frankie, I, I want to mention some things about Frankie. Just if you scroll back through baseball reference, I love doing this. He was a part of a lot of trades and, and I want to explain some lineage here, but uh, he was signed as a free agent from the Red Sox in 2009. A lot of people don't know that about uh, Montas. How old is he? He is 29, be 30 in March. Uh so the Red Sox traded him to the White Sox in 2013 in the deal that sent Jake Peavy to the Red Sox and Jose Iglesias to the Tigers. The Tigers also sent Avisel Garcia to the White Sox. So Mm -hmm. that's one of those pretty big trades already in 2015, the White Sox send Frankie to the Dodgers with Trace Thompson, and uh, the Dodgers sent Jose Peraza, Scotty Schebler to the Reds, and then Todd Frazier went to the White Sox. So it just it's just kind of crazy how it all intertwines. The Dodgers obviously traded him with Jarrell Cotton to the A's for Rich Hill and Josh Reddick, and now Frankie's traded with Lou to the Yankees for a host of prospects. Uh, that's that's a lot that's a lot of change of scenery for sure yeah a lot of big trades you would like you would see on tv that's um let's uh let's bring drew Paz in on the call welcome to the joe random sports podcast we got drew Paz on the line how's it going <laughs> Great time. good good uh we're, we're talking baseball uh do you want to hop in on this
2: All right, I I have a little bit of time. What are we talking about?
0: Well, we're just going over the tread deadline right now and talking over uh, the winners and losers and kind of giving our reactions. All right,
2: well, first reaction is just, what the hell are the Giants doing? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) No one knows what what direction we're going.
0: (laughs) Well, let's let's jump into the Giants right now then in that case. Uh, Carlos Rodon was... The big prize that they thought they might move, but they didn't, and um you know, I know the Giants were just a handful of games out of the wild card race, but now they're they're looking more and more out of the wild card race. they acquired uh Dixon Machado was maybe the big prize uh i mean in addition Don't to say that in, in addition to j d davis uh but i mean drew what what do you got here
2: i mean the the thing with Carlos is. We probably could have dealt him, and then maybe still got him back in the off-season. So we're, we're not playing for anything this year. Like we got maybe a wild card run, and I mean, even last year, 100 what was it hundred, seven hundred eight wins. which probably was a bit of a fluke. Then what? Get bounced in the first round and an LDS, and so this isn't the roster that we're playing to win a. World Series win, so I, I don't get why we hold on to these guys right now but I don't know I'm not one getting paid to do this job probably for good reasons
1: I'm, I'm with you Drew I'm it's confusing to me every it's it's weird because every time I get mad at Farhan he seems like he pulls it together and puts together a pretty good team the next year um, I was ready for them to, to let him go before last year and then they pull off a hundred and eight wins 107 wins so I really I just wish there was more of a clear direction it seems like kind of like I was saying on the last podcast it seems like the Giants are playing money ball with as being a bigger market team and it's frustrating as a fan to to watch that but um, I mean I really like So it would have been tough to see him go but there's really there's no value in keeping him because he does have a player option and he'll get a little bit more money next year so he's gonna he's going to test the market again. So I don't know. I wish they could get rid of guys like, uh, like the last generation, like Longoria belt Crawford. I wish those guys were tradable right now, but nobody wants them. Um, It's they're stuck between being too young and too old. And there's just not really much of a a direction, which is why I wanted them to trade the house for Soto. But yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying with the, The money ball aspect of things that Aram's doing, I can see it. I I hope that's the case. We we hope he's playing chess, not checkers. But sometimes it feels like he's playing Yahtzee, and just we don't know what he's doing. So, (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's it would be nice to know which direction we're going, but we I don't think we're gonna know this year. You know, off season judge is gonna be a eyes on him, so. Maybe we, I don't know. Well, only time will tell on that side of
0: things. Well, you hope that there's guys expiring or maybe they don't bring back so that they do clear up a lot of room. I mean, apparently there's some some rumors out there that Judge might be a Giant. I don't know how true those are, but if they can pull in Aaron Judge, I mean, all of a sudden there's, there's revived hope. And I'm wondering if Farhan's maybe looking at this and saying, well, we got Rodon for another year. You know why do we have to trade him right now? His value is going to be maybe the same, not if not similar at least to next trade deadline. If that if they can't, so if they can't compete, so maybe that's part of it. But like I said before, I think it's just missing the void of Posey has had a lot more ramifications than I think that I think they anticipated.
1: Yeah, there's a a big loss there for sure. If, I'm interested to see, like, I think judge would probably lose out on 15 homers a year. If he came to San Francisco, no doubt with, with the short porch. I I mean, I, if I'm him, I'm not coming here.
0: He also might be one of those guys that has just enough power to, to maybe nullify it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But not on those cold nights with the wind blowing in over that. Yeah. I, especially compared to Yankee stadium when it's hot and humid and flipping balls out to, for 310 foot homers, you know?
0: Well, I don't know. I think he just hit his 44th last night. Uh, he's probably on pace for 55, if not 60 again. So, uh, I mean, I think anybody would pay enough money to take that.
1: I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying he'd hit 40 a year versus 60 a year. So, I mean, we're not talking a huge step in production, but.
2: He got a 40, 40 home run hitter in our lineup. That'd I mean, when was the last time the Giants had that?
0: Barry. It has to be Barry, right? I I don't.
2: don't, Yeah. Yeah, maybe some fluke here from someone else, but I I think it was Barry. So who knows? I mean, it'd be fun. I'd be happy if we got him. At least we'd, I think, have a clearer direction.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'd be all in on it. I just, I don't, I can't see them putting together a long enough and big enough offer for him, but we'll see.
0: So just to, Finish up the Frankie Montas uh, point uh, before uh, Mr. Paz hopped on the call. Um, I want to take this back to Nick Swisher, and everybody, <laughs> everybody listening is going to be like, "Oh, oh God, that's a name. I haven't heard They're like, "Wow, well, come on, Stephen, why, why are you bringing up Nick Swisher?" But I want to start with him because he was the Money Ball, the famous first pick in the Money Ball draft in two thousand two. Since then. The A's traded him to the White Sox for... I'll, I'll only name the notable guys here. Gio Gonzalez and Ryan Sweeney. Okay, Ryan Sweeney got shipped with Andrew Bailey to the Red Sox uh, in the Josh Reddick trade. Josh Reddick combines with Rich Hill. They trade him to the Dodgers. The A's trade Hill and Reddick to the Dodgers for Jarrell Cotton and Frankie Montas. And now... Frankie Montas gets shipped to the Yankees. I'm going to go back to Gio Gonzalez here. Gio Gonzalez in a different tree of the trade gets traded for. Remember this deal with the nationals, AJ Cole, Tommy Malone, Derek Norris, and Brad Peacock. Now we all remember Tommy Malone, Derek Norris, and Brad Peacock. A lot of us don't remember AJ Cole, but AJ Cole probably ends up turning the most value out of those guys as the A's traded AJ Cole in a deal For John Jaso, Drew. (laughs) John Jaso for president. (laughs) Your favorite guy. Um, And the A's trade Jaso and Daniel Robertson to the Rays for Unel Escobar and Ben Zobrist. The Unel Escobar gets shipped for Tyler Clippard. And then Ben Zobris gets traded to the Royals for young prospects, Sean Mania and Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks was shipped for Chris Coglin, who was later shipped for Arizmendi Alcantara. That's the end of that tree. So right now we are waiting for the prospects in return for Sean Maniah and Frankie Montas as the remnants from the Nick Swisher trade. It's the trade that keeps on giving.
1: That's the A's, man. They find
0: a way. I was really trying to do a a war analysis of who actually won these deals and it got really hairy because I started trying to all right what did they do for the A's what did they do after what did they do you know like do you call it a win as in all right this is what they did for the A's versus what they didn't or is it oh this is what they did for the rest of their career did they win or lose that so it was really really tough but from each individual trade It kept seeming like The A's were returning more war It, it kept seem like they were Getting more and more value That's just off of baseball reference But I mean I could be Completely wrong about that uh, But yeah just, just kind of cool following The trade trees Pretty wild um, Drew do you got any other uh, winners and losers On the trade deadline we, we talked about the Padres being probably The biggest winner uh, but any other underrated winners you might have found?
2: Yeah, I mean that's where I think the, the spotlight has to go. Is whoever wins the Juan Soto sweepstakes is is the winner. It doesn't it doesn't matter anything else? You get Juan Soto, the. Uh, I mean, they were contenders. Now look at that lineup, and it's it's scary. So, um, yeah, can't can't get too in depth on the rest of it, but that is definitely the clear away there other than my my giant fandom and disappointment i guess it's <laughs> just maybe it's good that they're, we're not in a clear
0: direction right now because the nl west is going to look, be looking pretty scary for a while no doubt no doubt um other speaking of the nl west uh the rockies um, i wanted
1: to talk about them yeah let's get into right. that
0: Tell me, Matt, why you think the Rockies, and I already know what you're thinking, so tell me why you think the Rockies are big losers at the trade deadline.
1: Because <laughs> they don't do anything. They they make no sense. They let go of Arenado, then they go get Chris Bryant for almost the same price, well overpaying for Chris Bryant. I thought, uh, what did they get, seven years, six years, $140 million, something like that for Chris Bryant, and then at this deadline, when they have a chance to at least be sellers and try to get some prospects back. They extend Bard and, um, and don't trade. I don't think they made a single trade, did they?
0: No. Daniel yeah, Bard was crazy. extended for two years and $19 million on July 30th right before the deadline. 37-year-old closer who is, by the way, having a really good season under the radar, but you would feel like that's a guy that you could turn value on and they didn't do that.
1: Yeah, Denver is running the live golf model. Just send out some money to some random older guys and uh hopefully get some guys to turn up to the ballpark.
0: The Rockies have a history of overpaying for relievers. Um if anybody Wade Davis, Wade Davis being the one that really comes to mind. Um, but man, that's a that's a tough, tough situation over there. Um, I think that the twins were a sneaky winner at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were already atop of the AL Central, but we know that Central's a little bit weak. Now they actually seem like contenders. Uh, Tyler Maley, pretty good strikeout pitcher for the Reds. Uh, Jorge Lopez, really good reliever this year for the Orioles. And Michael Fulmer, also a really good reliever from the Tigers, not to mention Sandy Leone as a backup catcher. I think the Twins are, are here to compete and not only win the division, but I think make some noise in the playoffs.
1: Agreed. I think that's a smart way to go all in as well, where you're going all in on pitching because twins were, were not great out of their bullpen. I think they have the most blown saves in the AL and for them to really shore up that the back end of that pen with um, Lopez, Fulmer, and then getting, I mean, a backup catcher is not a glamorous move, but having a vet like that is really nice. So I'm a fan of what the twins did for sure.
0: It reminds me of when the Giants made those acquisitions of Javier Lopez and yep. um, Jeremy Affelt, obviously, who's a free agent. But they, they made quite a few moves to kind of bring in those smaller market deals. Jake Peavy was kind of a guy that they, they liked, and I could see Tyler Maley kind of fill in that role. Um, so I think the Twins have done a decent job. Uh, the Phillies added some guys, uh, Brandon Marsh, Noah Syndergaard, David Robertson, Edmundo Sosa, all those guys should help. Although uh, it's just tough to see with how good the Braves are right now and and what the the Mets have been up to. It's uh, it's tough to see the Phillies cracking in there.
1: Yeah, the Braves getting Iglesias from the Angels, another treading water organization in the Angels, but uh, is a great add to their back end. They dumped uh, Will Smith, picked up uh, Odorizzi, I think, uh, to, give the, to give them another rotation piece. It reminds me of those deals that they made last year for, uh, for Jock and uh, Eddie Rosario to kind of make the smaller moves to try to stir up your roster. Um, so I think they're, they made the, the best small moves, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, the other prize at the deadline was Luis Castillo. The Mariners sold out to get him. And they also made uh, some smaller moves to get Kirk Caselli and, and Matt Boyd from the Giants. So some guys that could potentially help them down the line. The Giants got a prospect in that deal. Uh, the Reds, uh, I think the Reds are winners here. Um, they obviously, they're they're a tough franchise right now, but they were able to get what it seems like a lot of good return on all the guys that they shipped out. Um, Castillo, Maley, Drury, uh, Tyler Naquin. Uh, I think the Reds are going to be primed for a few years to come after this.
1: Agreed. Agreed. I think what they got for Castillo was way more than uh, the A's got for Monta. So I think that's a win there for the Reds. And um, I'm trying to think of any other moves that caught. Oh, Trey Mancini to the Astros was a really good underrated move to go from the Orioles ballpark, which goes outwards dead left in terms of ballpark to the Houston Astros ballpark that goes, you need to hit about 320 foot fly ball to hit a homer. There is, is a nice move.
0: Um, Well, it's a good move for the Astros. I I think it's a tough move for Orioles fans because you, you ship out your franchise phase, you ship out Jorge Lopez and you're like, wait a minute, we're kind of in contention here, but I think they also kind of see the writing on the wall. Hey, it's going to be tough to compete with the rest of the division and the rest of the AL. Um, So, They're like, you know what, why don't we get something out of this and just kind of see how we play. Um, So it's tough. Uh, The Mets made some smaller moves. They got Daniel Vogelbach. They got Darren Ruff for the J.D. Davis trade. They got uh, Michael Givens, but they did not get the lefty that they were uh, potentially hoping for. So kind of smaller moves for the Mets. Again, they don't need much, but probably would have been nice to get that lefty in the bullpen. I think the Brewers kind of tanked a little bit here. Uh, they not, not because of Josh Hader. I think, you know, he knew he didn't want to sign in the off season. It, it seemed like they couldn't extend him. So they, I just don't know if, if Taylor Rogers is going to be the answer. And I think competing with St. Louis in that division is tough. Um, granted St. Louis, maybe other than getting Montgomery and Quintana, they didn't do as much at the deadline as other people thought as well. So the NL Central uh, seems kind of up for grabs as, as well.
1: Yeah, everyone had the Cardinals in on Soto and in on uh, Castillo and Montas, and they ended up not doing anything. It was pretty surprising.
0: Another loser. Um, I've got the Cubs. Uh, just you know, only you can't you can't trade Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ. Um, and... and that
1: was kind of sad with their farewell <laughs> goodbye and then not trading them.
0: Yeah. I mean I love holding on to like your franchise guys but when you see the direction of the team and you have an opportunity to return value and you can't I think that is kind of a little bit of a disappointment Um, for sure I've got the Cubs as a loser I've got the White Sox as a loser Um, they've been kind of a disappointment this year they didn't really do anything at the deadline Uh, and I I think the Blue what do you got on the Blue Jays um they acquired Anthony Bass, really good reliever as we know, you and I especially. <laughs> um and they got Whit Merrifield, which you know, he's not as good as he's been in years past. I believe he's still not vaccinated, so that's an interesting point. Can he still can he even play in Toronto? But no rotation help for the Blue Jays, and they're they're in a driver's seat in the AL East. I mean, it's them and the Yankees, I think at least top 2.
1: Yeah, it was weird for them trading for wit just because of the vaccination stuff um being in canada obviously the requirements are a lot more up there but um i mean it seems like wit if he goes to toronto kind of gets a rejuvenation of playing for a contender again would be a decent buy low candidate so i don't i don't blame them for that at all obviously i like anthony bass i think that's a good pickup um yeah, I think they made some good small moves. It's it's crazy how many of these contenders made made at least some sort of move, you know, that made them clearly better.
0: We're talking a, about a lot of teams here. Um, yeah, so it's I mean, shoot, the Red Sox got Tommy Pham in addition to Eric Hosmer. I mean, not like a impactful veteran, but somebody who can make some noise. I'm surprised they didn't trade JD Martinez. Um, they did trade uh, Christian Vasquez. so it's. Yeah, a lot of teams did stuff. Uh, the Dodgers getting Gallo, but really not doing anything else, and then they come out and sweep the the Padres. Uh, so I, I mean, if I'm the Dodgers, I didn't. I think that's kind of a low risk thing for them. You know, they for get sure,
1: yeah.
0: Just let's see if we what we can get out of Gallo. And it looks like they feel that they have people in the organization that thinks they can help them, um, according to the MLB Network reports. So, you know. We'll see what we'll see what that turns if he becomes a decent platoon guy for them in the postseason, but I I think the Dodgers now with Kershaw going back to the IL, I think the starting pitching all of a sudden has become a question mark.
1: Yeah, I think if uh if the Dodgers got one more pitcher, whether it be bullpen or starter, I think that could have served them very well. I think that's that's their only weakness, the Dodgers. There's something about the Dodgers; they just know how to win, too. You know, like there's something about that team that, um, that's in there that really knows how, how to get it done.
0: It's they're playing what 700 baseball right now, which is just insane. <laughs>
1: yeah, that'll work. I think they've been about like 650 for the last eight years total. I think was what I saw the other day.
0: Money that's just unreal. Um, yeah. so does does anything that happened tip the scales for you? um, come October, you know, in the past, you, you mentioned, you think it's still the Dodgers to to lose? And I think it was kind of the cliche, the Dodgers Yankees. Um, does that still hold true or true? Or do you think the Padres kind of cracked in there? Do you think that, um, I don't know, Toronto or Houston cracked in there? I think, uh, I think
1: the Yankees kind of hurt themselves a little bit. Um, trading Montgomery, I'd say only getting Benintendi and invader. I, I just, with all the hype around some of the Yankees moves, Montas is huge for them, obviously. Um, but there's there's no, it, it just doesn't seem, at least for the six or seven games that they've played since, it doesn't seem to fit super well. I, I was really on the fence with Astros-Yankees um, in the last podcast, and I think the Astros picking up Mancini, a good contact hitter um, that obviously plays in the playoffs with power. So I, I think I'm leaning Astros Dodgers right now. Um, I really like what the twins did. I think they're, they're probably locking up the central here um, as they come down the stretch. Uh, NL wise. Yeah. I, I I just, I can't roll with anyone but the Dodgers out of the the NL um, for the time being barring any injuries. If the Grom stays healthy and Scherzer stays healthy, uh, Diaz stays healthy, I think that Mets team is really, really dangerous. So that would probably be my, my second team uh, c- coming out of the
0: NL. Great point. Absolutely. So I mean, that's all I got on the trade deadline. Is, it was a lot of fun, uh, yep. a lot of moves. It was probably the most crazy trade deadline we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And I'm excited for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's cool with, uh, social media. Like we get to follow all these small deals that happen. Yeah. Like some of These ones you don't even really hear about, like when we were growing up until a few days later, but now we get to follow all these in live, live minute by minute action.
0: Hey, no, I I'm, I'm with you. I, um, I'm going to see if we can get Drew. Drew got disconnected. Um, but I'm going to see if I can bring him back on and talk fast food. Cause he's, He's the fast food guy right here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. But that's all I got about baseball. Um, We're Miss Vin Scully. And um, looking forward to our our next podcast. It's uh, going to be fun. We're going to bring Hamilton on for the NFL preview. And uh, we're going to bring Fish on for the fantasy football podcast. So looking forward to it.
2: Sweet. There he is. All right. Sorry about that. Oh, what's going on, Drew? Boom. All right. What 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 are we on topic wise here? We're gonna get into fast food. Uh, Just going back to the uh, the text, the, based off the text conversations. Yeah.
0: All right. Cool. So uh, we got pause back on the uh, fantasy football commissioner, uh, Drew pause here, which it's a good commissioner co-commissioner it, it's great having you on at uh, this time of year uh fantasy football we're going to do a fantasy football episode specifically but um do you have anything to uh say to the league while we got you on here
2: uh we're looking forward to our best year yet i know that
0: all right <laughs> mustache in, mustache in full form too yep uh, so, uh, we, we've pretty much closed the door on the MLB trade deadline. Um, and, uh, one thing we wanted to talk about was fast food and, and Drew and I go way back of rating and having fast food and, and deciding what's the best burger, what's the best fries. Uh, since he's moved to the East coast, he's gotten a lot more experience and more variety with the fast food uh, choices. And, uh, so I think he's a very good guy to have on the podcast to talk about what are the best and worst fast foods. So we talked about sandwiches in the last podcast and, um, let's, uh, let's take it over to Burger King McDonald's and, and the rest of the, uh, the, the group. Um, so how do, how do you guys, well, you guys want to jump in right in or Whatever
1: you can we start. Can we start with hearing your thoughts on Burger King, Steven?
0: <laughs> oh god we're,
2: we're just gonna be upset after this but yeah let, let's hear it
0: so I, I have a confession to make and that is i don't know when the last time i had burger king was <laughs> i don't blame you <laughs> but it doesn't mean that i wouldn't go down the street and have one right now um i i've always loved burger king it was there, it was one of the staples of childhood. Um, we kind of alternate between McDonald's and Burger King, but I was I was very fond of Burger King. Uh, I really loved the chicken fries, which was a unique, unique item that a lot of fast foods don't have. I always appreciated their thicker cut french fries. Um, and the the whopper is a pretty classic move. Their chicken sandwich is a classic move. I know a lot of McDonald's lovers and that's pretty much the main competition for Burger King is all the Mickey D's folks are like, well, but the McChicken and, you know, but, but the, the Burger King chicken sandwich is actually really good. A uh, funny thing to note is, and maybe this is why I like it so much is that was like my mom's craving during pregnancy with me is, is Burger King chicken sandwiches. Hmm. So there, maybe there's something to that. Um, but I always love Burger King. I, I understand that it's not top tier. I understand that you know, if I've got in and out and Burger King next to each other, I'm probably going in and out uh, probably nine and a half times out of ten. Um, so i'm not I'm not ignorant to that, but I don't think it's as bad as everybody is saying it is. I think it earns its its staple on the street with Wendy's and McDonald's and uh, maybe I don't know, whatever else you want to throw in there. It makes
1: sense why it makes sense why you like it, Steven. I think the only way to enjoy Burger King is have it genetically passed down. So that makes sense.
2: <laughs> that's, that's a good good point. I, the one thing that I will give Burger King credit for is the chicken fries. That is a yep. it's unique and they're they're not bad. That, that's when I have been forced to go to Burger King. In the past, whether that's usually it's been like in an airport. I would never seek to go. I'll drive for however much longer to get to the McDonald's on a road trip. But uh, in an airport, when Burger King's the only option, chicken fries is the go-to move there.
0: It it may have something to do with it. They always had really cool toys. Um, I loved when they had the Star Wars toys. So it's very possible that just, we were having it so much and you just grow to grow to like it too. When, <laughs> when you're trying to get the toys, but uh so if, if we're rating burgers on a fast food scale. Okay. So let's pretend that in and outs your 10 or your 9.9 drew if in and outs the 9.9, then what's where does Burger King fall on the, and remember seven is average seven is I'd have it again.
2: I like you. I can't remember the last time I've had a Burger King burger. So it's hard to say, but I will generously give it a (laughs) (laughs) 4.3. That's really not that bad. That's just slightly below average. No, well, if, if, we, if we're saying if, if on Stephen's scale of seven, seven being average, yeah, not, oh, okay. not five being average, then um, how do, yeah, how does
0: that make sense between seven? one and ten? <laughs> <laughs> Drew and I have talked about this extensively. Seven is a C. That's a that's passing. I'm on, uh, I'm on
1: the Drew will appreciate this the Dave Portnoy pizza rating scale.
0: Well, no, we I mean we we apply that too.
2: But I, I think they I think they're similar. I think. Uh, a seven is around that range of would have it again. Wouldn't drive more than 15 minutes to go get. Um, okay. Okay. And whereas below or like above a, say a eight is now like, okay, I, I'll make a point to go exponentially there.
0: Actually better. Yeah. Go
2: out of my way to get that. Or, and then once you get below the sixes, that's where it, you you either I'd say probably three and below is you're not touching it, but maybe between three and six is, it's you got to be a little desperate
1: yeah i'd say for
2: burger king for me i
1: would give it a 0.1 i honestly think it's the (laughs) worst burger i've ever had
0: wow i'm
1: I'm being serious i don't think i've ever had a worse cheeseburger
0: we're gonna do a a side-by-side testing one of these days matt i would
1: love to the last time i had burger king was probably two years ago and i lifted up the um burger to put some ketchup on the bottom of it and the bottom side of the burger had like all this crap hanging from it, <laughs> from the meat. And it's it's really foul. That would be the way I would describe it. Just disgusting.
0: Yeah,
2: it's a bit scarring.
0: Oh man. All right. How do you guys rate McDonald's in comparison to In N Out? Because I think we're all in agreement that In and Out is maybe our, if not the best top three out there, at least from a West Coast bias.
2: Are we talking McDonald's burger or McDonald's menu and options of what you can go get? Because I, I don't think McDonald's burgers are anything special. Okay. Um, I'd give a McDonald's burger somewhere in the six range. Okay. But when it comes to the options, the value, and I know you're, you're big, you're, you've, you weigh value a lot, and I know you don't like their everyday value meal because it's not a dollar menu anymore. But it's, in this economy, it's still value. And so I I would say overall as a fast food option, I'll give McDonald's 7.8. Not, I'm not driving out of my way for it, but once done there, it's a really good option.
0: Uh, Wow. I mean, like you mentioned value meal, but I mean, those things are super small. You have to order for you, Drew, you're ordering six of those. And at that point, it's like I'm. I'd rather just go get an In-N-Out burger and fries. Like to me, the In-N-Out value is far superior to McDonald's. You can't feed a family of four at McDonald's for under twenty bucks anymore, but you can at In-N-Out if you if you just buy four you know regular cheeseburgers and a couple fries. Oh,
2: that's one hundred percent. Man, that's why In-N-Out's the elite of the elite. Yeah, um, shakes that's a great are, establishment.
0: Shakes are great too. Um, so the one spot that gets pretty talked, gets talked about a lot that I am very against is five guys. Um, Drew, you've, you've had a little bit more experience with it since you moved to the East coast. Um, I know some of your friends are proponents, um, but Give us your take on five guys. I actually think we had it together for the first time when we tried it, when it opened up in the, the Hacienda shopping mall, <laughs> just right. burgers, yeah. just five burgers, still? burgers and fries. Um,
2: I've never received such a large order of fries in my life.
0: <laughs> Tell us about <laughs> Tell that. You.
2: One, one time. It's overwhelming. So we walk into five guys, I mean, two or three buddies and, uh, we were just looking for a little snack. We were, we were out doing stuff during the day. And we're like, let's just get something. We're like, yeah, We don't even need a burger. Let's just get some fries. So we all ordered some fries. And four orders of fries, whatever that comes out to, probably around 10, 12 bucks. And we walked away with four full brown bags, like the bag that you would get at McDonald's to put your meal in, full to the top they just for no reason, no explanation. And I had fries for three days and it, it was glorious. And the fries aren't bad. Um, you, you get a little bit of the atmosphere there, getting to just throw the peanut shells on the ground. Um, something a little bit different from, from most fast food establishments. Burgers, pretty good. Not, not elite, but um, yeah, not a bad option. Just a, real real middle of the road also been a while since i've had one but it's so hard to give an exact score it's probably in that 6 to 7 ballpark yeah i'd
1: say 7.0 uh, i got a good customer service five guys experience um rather bad experience i guess but i go in i do a, a mobile order it's probably two or three months ago uh or it called in for an order gave it about 20 minutes go down and grab it and i go in and as I'm waiting in line for it, at every there was probably seven employees either cooking or cleaning or doing whatever. They all look me in the eyes and don't ask me if I've been helped. Don't ask me for anything. So I sit there and wait about 10 minutes. I, ask, I was like, hey, just checking in on this order. Um, the guy looks at me, says he'll be right on it, and then proceeds uh, cleaning still. <laughs> and then so I waited probably a good 25 minutes for this online pickup for a burger and fries. So five guys in terms of burger, I give it like a seven Uh, overall experience drops way down because of that. And it's, I it's, it's been pretty consistent with how, how slow and non-responsive their employees are. Maybe it's just individual franchises, but um, customer service and value are very below par.
0: You're not the only one that's mentioned that I've, I've heard that as well, that people go in and they just have to wait so long before somebody helps them yeah Um, value's not there the fries are really soggy the peanut shells they think they're being cool with it's just whatever um i i the first time i had it i think with drew i was like all right this is okay but it wasn't great figured let me try it again tried it again still kind of disappointed so i haven't gone to five guys since it's probably been eight years or so um just uh it's too bad so five guys for me on the fast food scale is is in the 4.6 range
1: with for what about just burger?
0: Uh, yeah, four point six. I mean, the fries are bad, the burgers bad, the values bad, everything's bad. Uh, What's bad about the burger? It it's distinctly different than any other fast food burger I've ever had. But for for worse, um, there they just the meat has a certain taste to it that can come across as ooh, this is better meat. But when you really like think about the taste, it's actually not very good. If, if so you're,
1: I, you're, you're telling me Burger King is about four <laughs> points higher than five guys.
0: I'm saying Burger King is like a seven, one.
1: Yeah. So like three, three, yeah.
0: three points higher. Two 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 and a half. I, I will.
1: <laughs> and I'm, I'm worried about your taste buds. <laughs> if
0: we do a side-by-side test. I will be able to pick out the five guys burger very easily. So let like, me yeah, I mean, give you a little like an actual insight bur- on the five guys, guys burger. burger. Okay, yes.
2: Not not 100% sure. I do know for a fact that their fries are fried in peanut oil. And so there's potential that their burgers are also made with peanut oil. And that might be that taste that you're um, thinking of. And I, do, I did find this video of the amount of fries. I know this isn't great for the podcast, but I, I just got to show you guys. So this is the order. It's one little fry. <laughs> and this is the aftermath <laughs> but you just got to wait for it.
0: I remember this video. You're just
2: up (laughs) and out an entire table full for four guys of
0: one little fry. Wow. It
2: looks like Joey chestnuts fry order. Exactly.
0: Um, Drew, have you ever had checkers or rallies? No, I actually never heard of them. Uh, So I highly recommend when you guys see one on the road, your next road trip or whatever, they're not everywhere on the West coast or more Midwest East coast thing or South. Um, you got to go. Um, their, their fries are cream of the crop. Maybe the best fast food French fry out there. Their, their burger is very average. Um, it's, it's probably right next to the McDonald's burger on the scale. It's not great. It's kind of whatever, but the fries are unreal. It's just the way that they're seasoned. Um, so for anybody who is a rallies or checkers fan out there, um, I, I'm supporting you.
2: I'll be out in Detroit in November, so for Thanksgiving, out so I'll have to keep an eye out for it.
0: When out, when out, uh, the other thing you have to try in Detroit is Culvers. Very um,
2: good. I have heard of Culvers.
0: Culvers is the Aaron Rodgers uh, fa- uh, fast food. Um, <laughs> not just because it's Wisconsin, but based, but. When you, this is the only establishment I have not had Whataburger yet. Full disclosure, I I do want to try that. Have you guys had that one yet?
1: Yeah, it's basically like a glorified Burger King, in my opinion.
0: Hmm. Okay,
1: I've heard better things about it. But Everyone loves it, but it it was at least the one I went to in Texas was not good.
0: Okay, um, Culver's has the potential to, to defeat In and Out. It's
2: wow, those are it, fighting words. It's Whoa. not
0: just the burger the burger is excellent it's they call butter burgers their buns are essentially made uh, fried with butter and they are really so i think one of the things that separates in and out from a lot of places it's why it's a hair above the habit in my opinion is because in and out fries their buns and you got that crunch feeling habit didn't do that i think the habit has some really good meat um in their burger but the because the the in and out patties are really thin um, but the it's the bun. Culver's has the same thing. Their buns are buttered up and fried. The meat's solid, good thick piece of meat. And instead of French fries, you can sub in cheese curds, which is an elite substitution. Um, again, very unique. And then instead of a drink, you can sub in a custard. And you're out of there and, and, and you can get honey mustard as the sauce uh, as well for your, your cheese curds if you want. Um, and you're out of there in 10 bucks. I mean, it's, it's as good as it comes when you combine value, uniqueness, taste. Uh, I miss Culver's dearly. Uh, I, I hope that I can get to one in Arizona when I head back down in the fall.
1: <laughs> there's one in Peoria, I think, Stephen.
0: Yeah, there's a couple out there. They're yeah. not in California yet, but they're slowly making their way. So Culver's is the only one I think has the, the potential to defeat in and out um matt you and i talked a lot about wendy's Mm -hmm. Um, drew where do you lie on the wendy's scale so
2: probably my biggest flaw i've never had wendy's
0: wow
2: yeah it's it's pretty surprising but um i i think maybe once when i was like seven or eight got something there but like i don't remember it and i don't know what i got so i have to say i've never had it Wow. Something about their commercials and seeing that there was a square burger when I was little freaked me out a bit and for for no reason now. Like I would have no problem eating a burger from there. But just because I was I was raised on a McDonald's burger and that was round and the square thing threw me off and I wasn't gonna go down that road.
0: So I'll have to try it. In in the past I was in the same boat. Uh, but when I was just talking to somebody about this, actually, when you kind of get around that fact, you're like, wow, the Baconator is really good. And that's something that, <laughs> that they, you know, you, you got the Whopper, right. You got the, the Baconator, you've got the Big Mac, the Big Mac, you, you know, you, you have your, your staples the signi- right? the signature, the signature. And the, the, for Carl's Jr., it's the Western bacon cheeseburger. Um, so, wendy's to me and it the quality is really high for being a a fast food chain that's pretty nationwide uh like you 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 feel like when you're eating it it's 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 really good food and i know it's it's not i know it's fast food but like you feel like you're having a decent burger like you could they
1: served it on a plate i would yeah like you wouldn't know you wouldn't know the difference between just visually between like a five guys and which is supposedly like a step above, like a Shake Shack. And then Wendy's would be like on the same level visually.
0: Yeah. And the fries are a really good option too. I mean, we, we all kind of agree that McDonald's fries are of another level. Um, but Wendy's fries for being like pure French fries are high up there.
1: All right. Can I get a Wendy's monologue in really quick? Yes. Um, so Wendy's is very heartfelt to me throughout college. I probably had it once or twice a week. Um, when we were in the, the weight gain phase of lifting weights, all that fun stuff, like it. it's really a staple. If you're talking value, it's really a staple of feeding the working class American. You could up until last year, you can go there. You could get a four for four, $4 for four items. You get a drink, you get fries, you get, um, their savings menu option. I would always go double stack biggest thing that they had, um, and some, a four piece chicken nugget, you get that for $4. You do two of those, you get an eight for eight and you are set for a hefty meal. Um, if we're talking about value, you can feed a family four kids for those at 16 bucks. Um, I think what Wendy's it's basically now a five for four with the biggie bag meal or whatever they call it now, but I don't go there quite as much anymore, unfortunately, but, um, I, I really think what Wendy's is able to do is a staple in feeding the working class American
0: and the Frosties. Bravo, Bravo to Frosties.
1: them. Oh yeah. Frosties. Are they still 99 cents?
0: <laughs> uh, no, but they're, they're still very 29. Yeah. Whatever yeah, about it might be. 19, uh, something like that. Yeah. Strawberry Frosty is so good. Oh man. You got to try it if you haven't already. Um, and I know the McFlurry is, is kind of a comp, you know, like the McFlurry is something that Mc, McDonald's is kind of known for, but it apparently seems that the machines are always broken <laughs> yeah,
1: I- every single time I've ever been there. I think I've had it probably
0: once where it's not broken. It's like, how does that happen? Drew, you know, that you guys probably know the shopping center on El Costa with McDonald's and Dairy Queen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, I'm just going to Dairy Queen in that case. You know? Oh I'm, yeah.
2: There's still Taco Bell there too.
0: No, it used to be at least, but no.
2: Taco Bell is another, I think, elite option. I know it's a very different category, but well, when it comes to cheap, it. mostly drunk food, that that's where you want to go. Yeah,
1: I, I was remember. gonna say that's the only time I ever have Taco Bell.
0: Remember yeah. Eli? It's the Eli Manning. Remember the article? <laughs> it's it comes through in the clutch for you twice, and you'll never forget it because of those two times.
2: Um, Fair enough. Now, one chain that I don't think was mentioned in the original conversation, I don't have much experience with it. I don't even know if it's nationwide, but I'm curious what your guys' thoughts on Jack in the Box.
1: I've only had it once. I don't really have much experience. I do remember the milkshake being phenomenal, but other than that, I don't have much experience.
0: Um, Jack in the Box is a place I don't frequent very much. Um, I don't think it's very good. We call it junk in the box. Um, Bo Bo loves his Wendy's. He loves his Wendy's. Now that they put one right by the KFC in San Ramon, Uh, but he always calls it junk in the box. Um, And the one thing I will say, though, it did help me out once Uh, when I was working at the fair uh, with the kettle corn stuff. We were getting smashed. This was like 2014, and the everything was closed. It was like midnight Fourth of July. I was hungry. Couldn't it couldn't go anywhere? Everything was was shut out. I was stuck in traffic in the the lot trying to get out of the fair, and I finally said, "You know what? Like I won't be able to get out of here for like an hour." I walked across the street. Jack in the Box was open. I went in. I got a nice burger, fries, meal. They called it the late night foodie the late night foodie call, and uh, it wasn't great, but it it hit the spot at the time. Um, and so I'll give them credit for. You know, being up late and still giving you something, but the overall quality is very subpar. I would I would call, call it kind of in the ballpark of five guys on my scale.
1: What about Carl's Junior? That, that's one we haven't ever talked about.
0: I think Carl's Junior is a, just a tick above junk in the box. Um, <laughs> it's it's not. I remember Michael. Michael Caldwell loved his Carl's Jr. He'd always bring the bring that in the Murray Station at Cal Poly. But same really,
2: way the Burger King has the chicken fries, doesn't Carl's Jr. have the star nuggets?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: I, I do remember that being a, an added value for me. That was always cool. Agreed. I Agreed. I got a funny
1: Carl's Jr. story. So me and my old roommate when we were living together a couple of years ago every morning we would watch like five minutes of Skip and Shannon before we went to work after the gym. And it would always have this like recurring commercial on the stream for like the one of the Carl's Jr.'s burgers. It was like with like their Thousand Island sauce, like similar to like what an In-N-Out burger would be. And every morning for like three months, we we watch that commercial and we eventually go and get it. And it's actually pretty, like, I would say it's quality of food is actually pretty good surprisingly good um i would give it um like a take below mcdonald's um but we ring it i ring it up and the number one meal with a burger and medium fries medium drink was like 16 dollars. whoa fact, but i don't know if that was just our location that we went to but it was absurd how expensive it was
0: wow uh, I, I was just admiring Carl's Jr. for a second. I was just in the Crow Canyon, like where Ike's is right now. Um, yeah. Sprouts, and I was just admiring the Carl's Jr. drive-through. I, people are still going there. It's great. I just picked up some uh, buy one, get one freeze. There's one in Stockton that I'll I'll head to after the game uh, now that you guys have got me craving it. <laughs> uh, but there was that that radio commercial, too, where they would go the Western bacon cheeseburger, Carl's junior. And then they had all the swimsuit model commercials and all <laughs> that is. It it, oh yeah. Commercials. Yeah. So, but no, we, we can't be kicking. Like it, the, the quality is, is average. It's not, yep. it's not great, yeah. but it's, you know, it's uh, so, yeah. I That's, mean, there's that, that
1: place is still in business being right next to uh, the habit is, isn't the habit right there. Yeah yeah uh, mr pickles ike's like that's a pretty pretty impressive run there on the cheesesteak Top. shop just down the way
0: oh yeah yeah
2: yeah wow. i think uh, there's there's a reason why places like jack in the box and carl's jr are like oh yeah i remember that place because you know we no one ever wants to really go <laughs> yeah, well exactly
0: it, it give credit to carl's jr when we were kids drew you i think you got these too, the giants bobbleheads from carl's jr the like the bonds and the kent and mm, yeah so, oh yeah.
1: Yeah. They, I got a JT snow one, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We got for three years running. Uh, they had those one to Oh three. And it was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so Carl's jr. We've hit some of the big names. Um, now let's dive into like the chicken, the chicken. Cause this is, this is becoming a big thing now is getting fast food fried chicken. There's your Chick-fil-A there's your Popeye's, uh, if you've made it down to Zaxby's, Bojangles, I haven't had those yet. But uh, fried chicken's becoming a big deal. Um, so, what do you guys got on that?
2: Um, if, I, I think. Feel go ahead, Drew. That, I was just going to say, I can really probably only speak to Chick fil A and um, Raising Canes, but Chick fil A, their sandwich is the, 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 the juiciness of it. Definitely sets it apart from your chicken sandwiches at those that we were talking about before the McDonald's, the burger canes, all those places. There's a clear difference that you're at a chicken establishment. You're not at a, at a burger place, um, raising canes. I know some people were, were critical of it. I actually enjoy it. The, uh, the Texas toast is, is up there. Um, I, I don't get it as often. There's one in Boston, but, um, generally when given the option, I'll, I'll always go to Chick-fil-A over Raising Cane's. I'd give Chick-fil-A, I think it it goes above the eight. I'll give it an 8.1 because I will go out of my way to get Chick-fil-A. Raising yeah. Cane's, solid
0: 7.2. Chick-fil-A also has a mac and cheese side too, which is pretty good. It's not, not a lot of places have that. Um, and I've heard that the shakes at Chick-fil-A are pretty solid. Um, phenomenal. I, I love the waffle fries too. It's just something that a lot of places don't have. And if you can, you can get the waffle fry chips, which are also really good. Um, To me, Chick-fil-A is far superior to Raising Cane's. Uh, The sauce is better. The chicken's better. The overall makeup of it is better. Raising Cane's is just your average run-of-the-mill fried chicken and just trashy fries. I I love the, the Texas toast. You were right about that. I, I don't get me wrong. I, I love it, but sweet not tea, gonna, not going out of my way to get that. Raising Canes is a three-three for me. I mean, their their sauce is disgusting.
2: Whoa, really?
1: That's yeah. that's shocking.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Matt, you you don't like it that much, right?
1: I said it was solid. I think it's right around the. I mean, if we're going off of like average being five or seven i think it's right at right at that i i love the sweet tea um i think the sauce is pretty good i just don't think the chickens like i honestly think chick-fil-a is like the standard along with in and out for fast food places i don't think it can get any better at what they do to be honest with you
0: yeah um and i what about popeyes too because because that's another big one
1: okay i was going to get into popeyes and kfc i think popeyes is is really solid. I don't think they do anything great. I think with how crispy their chicken is, I think they do a good job, but it's way drier on the inside. Um, their sandwiches are pretty good, but I wouldn't get like the chicken standalone. Like I wouldn't do any of their nuggets or wings or, uh, drumsticks, anything like that. I think KFC is kind of underrated. I think, I don't know. I have kind of a soft spot for it, I guess, but, um, any of the sides and all the other stuff isn't great, but the chicken itself at KFC is pretty, pretty good. I know it's probably really horrible for you with how greasy it is, but, um, I think the flavoring that they use on the batter is really good. So I would say KFC to me, KFC, it goes like Chick-fil-A, um, then a big gap, then like Raising Cane's KFC Popeye is very, pretty tightly packed in.
2: I, I think KFC is the Burger King of chicken. I think it's disgusting. I can understand that. Like I said, I I, I get it. I, I, have I, I the only it. thing I'll give to it is the crisp of their chicken, but the the amount of grease and the flavor is just terrible. See, I kind of like that that weird tangy flavor for some reason. I was to say I don't think I've ever had KFC and not been in the bathroom for multiple hours after before. <laughs> That's me with Taco Bell. I think uh, <laughs>
1: I. Th- I, yeah, I, I honestly don't remember the last time I've had KFC, but from what I remember, it
0: it was pretty good. It's another Bo staple. It's Wendy's, Taco Bell, <laughs> and KFC. Uh, and I, I always kind of cringe when we decide on that. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of KFC. I agree with you guys. Uh, the one thing I'll give it credit for is they change their fries from the wedge fries to actual French fries. Oh, and I didn't know that. If you haven't been there in the last year, maybe year and a half or so when they started coming out, um, maybe two years, their new French fries are very good. Um, they, they, are, they are up there. Um, I'm not going to say they're the best, but they're up there. So, If you guys are crossing a KFC and you happen to remember, oh, I just need some French fries, uh, I do recommend trying their new French fries. They are pretty solid.
2: Their mashed potatoes and gravies also not bad.
0: Yeah. Again, we're talking about them, but we're not talking about their chicken, which is what they're exactly. to, well, that's I Yeah, that's a
1: problem. Guys.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of down there for me as, as big of a staple as it is in American fast food. Um,
1: Popeye's, same, same.
0: Yeah. I, I may have only had Popeye's once, but I think I was on my way through Nashville and like just had a quick, quick, gas stop and i think that was it it wasn't bad from what i remember but i'd have to go back and <laughs> and and actually try it try to it, see if it's better than raising canes hopefully <laughs> um any other notable things you know we didn't talk about shake shack there's Freddy's, is another one that's kind of out in the the south midwest um are there any other honorable mentions you guys want to discuss
2: i just want to give shack a quick shout right? out to shake shack for uh They have the best beer deal in Boston, in downtown, when you're you're surrounded by all these bougie, expensive bars, and all you want is a pitcher of beer. That's our go-to spot. Beer, hot dog, and fries. I've never actually had a burger from Shake Shack. I always go for the hot dog, but that's just a me thing. Um, Nothing against their burgers, just dogs reign supreme. Um, So, yeah, that's my ode to Shake Shack. Yeah,
1: Shake Shack's really good. The shakes are probably my favorite shake. Um, burger was decent. Haven't had the Glizzy, but I'll have to try it. And have you ever had Five
2: Guys Hot Dog, Drew? Um, I'm sure I have. can't remember. I've always itself.
1: thought about it on the menu and never pulled the trigger. I was just wondering.
0: It's different for sure. Uh, but I, I'm out on Shake Shack for the value piece. Um, I think they try to be a little more upscale and the quantity and quality isn't there for me. I agree with you. The shake is good. Um, I I only had it once. So, you know, I I can't say too much about it, but I remember the, the meat being pretty solid. um, But I don't think the burger was that good. And I didn't like the fries. I'm just not a big crinkle fry fan.
1: They're not good. Yeah. Yeah. They're well below average. The shake burger or yeah. Shake burger combos elite. I would, say the shakes better than in and out shake and the burger is worse than in and out's burger so
0: and and speaking of that steak and shake you have that one
2: nope.
0: no no uh, another one i'd recommend um, thin patties but super value um, they have the shoestring cut fries so it's a little bit different from them um, and and then of course the shakes are really solid so i, I think try steak and shake and compare it to shake shack and then see kind of take everything into account and see what you got um I, i've got steak and shake above shake shack i mean if shake shack's probably like a 5.6 for me um steak and shakes probably like a, a 7.2 um that's fair all right well uh drew was a pleasant surprise uh yeah coming on and got you guys had a good time yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more uh, fantasy football as we get into this. And uh, thanks, thank you all for for tuning in. We'll, we'll see you all next time.